This is still Red FM. I'm still Jen. I'm still Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to talk about left-wing men, a little bit versus right-wing men. Yeah. This sounds like a funny topic, but it is actually something that feminists go back and forth on quite a lot. I mean, it is a discussion you have in your head. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think in many ways it's representative or can be representative of the antagonism between feminism and the left in general, which has a long and varied history and a lot of implications for strategy for women. Is it worthwhile working with left-wing men for something like maternity leave or other kind of social welfare problems that would probably benefit women in the long term? But is this actually an effective strategy and are these men sincere and what are really their interests etc i was thinking how how i would weigh up you know who is better for women um in terms of the vision left-wing or right-wing men and i was thinking about i think it's accepted already that there's this idea of women as private property on the right public property on the left and how if we had to take because we've never seen the left-wing vision of public uh, women as public property taken to its logical, logical conclusion, yeah. and that would mean something. If if I imagine it, it would mean you know something pretty dystopian, like going to the bus stop, seeing an advert for pornography, um, being able to you know click on a you know those interactive bus stops where you can just sort of order um, the idea that you could like order a woman, yeah. Um, I'm sure pretty soon there will be things like interactive adverts uh, that you would be told about pornography very early on in school. You'd watch pornography. I know now kids already kind of access that from like 11, but... Surrogacy as like the big means of production on like a mass scale. Yeah. Um, Like Handmaid's Tale stuff, which is like a cast of women. Yeah. Yeah. A, A brothel in every trade union, every workplace. So if you're a bit short of money... You can just go up to the fourth floor and, you know, yeah, the guy who's always fancied you, Alex from IT, could yeah. book a session with you. I really, I mean, I, I think, honestly, if we propose this to the left-wing men that are for these things, they wouldn't say, oh, no, no, that's not the society we want. We don't want pornography at bus stops or brothels in no. workplaces. I think that they would just, well, attack us. <laughs> they wouldn't say, oh, no, that'd be terrible, because it's not what they think. So I was thinking how... If that really was, you know, the world, I would then necessarily have to retreat in as much as is possible into the private world of the home or, you know, try and try and flee in whatever way I could. And I suppose I'd be compelled to go out of the home to work where I'd have to encounter this. But every chance I could, I would avoid it and I would retreat. So I would end up in a situation Mm. of private suffering anyway yeah so if i then have to think well if i am in the right wing men's vision for the world and i think it's not controversial to say something like um sharia law which you explained to me just means law law yeah i think sharia just <laughs> so means sharia law. yeah similar to what they have in saudi uh, arabia for example you would already be put in that position and then you wouldn't necessarily have meaning i would find more meaning as a kind of wife mother whatever within the private sphere yeah 
Because, and I also think there's a distinction between private suffering and public suffering. Mm. Unless your public suffering is going to lead to a collective resistance, mm. collective suffering just seems doubly undignified yeah. because everybody's joining in and there's oversight of it. Mm. Whereas private suffering, it's like, you know, sometimes if you cry, you leave the room or you cover your eyes. This is such a British way to view things, but yes, yeah. No, but it's it's true. I certainly try not to cry in public, and I, you know, yeah, it would be somehow. I would feel it was less less bad to have just private forms of suffering, and then within that sphere of privacy, try to find some kernels of meaning and hope that I become you know a widow early. And have more freedom and can say, well, I've done my husband and my kids, thank you very much. And now I can have some intellectual pursuits or whatever it is. Yeah. No, I... It's tough because, yeah, if you look at things in terms of private property versus public property, we want neither of those things. And we don't want those to be the two options that women have. But if you think about a lot of men on the left, this is genuinely what they want. Um, They genuinely want... um, they genuinely want a society where, like, a lot of them advocate for polyamory, which literally just means I get any woman I want and my wife stays home and is jealous about it. Um, pornography, prostitution, this is actively what they advocate for in the world in which they want. And in many ways, I think something like OnlyFans has really accomplished, like, the mass... Um, what's not not mass consumption because we already had mass consumption of pornography mass participation mass participation of women in pornography in pornography yeah and a lot of that has been accomplished by the market so a lot of this is like neoliberal stuff like a lot of women became um prostituted basically on OnlyFans during the pandemic when they lost their jobs so a lot of this is taken care of by the economic model that they also advocate um which is all about well they claim to be against well, the kind of leftist men you have in your mind. I guess I'm thinking more of liberals. Oh, I'm thinking of socialist men. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess for socialist men, they just want that stuff done by the state rather than the market. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be provisions by the state. Yeah. Which would actually, I mean, it would guarantee it, right? Mm. Which is in some ways worse. Yeah. And a lot of that is like, like if you listen to women in in Germany or in countries where prostitution is legalized uh, and promoted as like safe and normal and wonderful and liberating and great. They talk about how it changes the culture en masse. So there's a lot, there's a lot more, like if you're a cocktail waitress, you being sexually harassed is not necessarily thought of as like a moral, morally, a more morally problematic because like this is just, work this is work that other women do why isn't it work that you can't do as a cocktail waitress this is part of the whole package this is normal um morally morally acceptable way to treat women that is in the realm of labor yeah well the other thing left-wing men do is and i i don't think it's it's not just left-wing men right and we're not saying there's no good eggs on the left there certainly are uh but this thing that happens a lot of the time is when when people are trying to justify prostitution, they say, oh, but what about disabled men? Yes. Men who otherwise maybe can't go out on a date or aren't, you know, physically appealing. They can't get in the gym. They have these, you know, yeah, physical constraints. 
And it's not just that underlying that is the idea that men have a right to sexual access. It's also that they're they're held up as a way that then you feel sorry for them and you go, oh, yeah, this yeah. poor guy is never going to have sex and will forever be a virgin. And of course, the disabled men that I've known of have often just dated disabled women, yeah. people in a similar situation to them that understand one another's lives very well. And again, it's a meeting of two people that have a commonality mm. and therefore are quite a good match in that they have this shared experience. But that is something that happens, I don't want to say you know, naturally, you know what I mean by that, um, just kind of pairing off. That's not what prostitution is. No. And they love to ha- hold up this idea of like, oh, you know, um, of this poor guy. And then as soon as you agree to that, they want to throw in everybody else and yeah. say, well, if he's allowed... I mean, it's just crazy. I, I, and you hear it sometimes by these crazy rad lib, like anarchist weirdo types calling it like love work or like, oh, this is like women sharing their, because I've realized recently that a lot of what these people think is that women, like femininity is superior to every feminine quality, quote unquote, is superior to every masculine quality. That's what they really believe. Okay. And they think that women, by nature of being socialized to be nurturing, maternal, loving, or whatever, that means that women are, like, superior beings, not for their being women, but because they have these qualities. Well, it's also the idea they have a lot to give. Exactly. Yeah. And so I've I've seen crazy, like, rad lib types being like, women's labor is to educate and help men come to terms with their own humanity through love work or whatever (laughs) and it's just all it's also this fantasy that women have about men that oh i can change him he can he can be he can have this like deep internal world and i'm going to be like this um wise woman like healer type the muse the muse it's going to help him evolve to be whatever well it's the idea that all men have a magical universe inside them yes and that you just need to unlock yeah exactly well it's the idea that women have a lot to give to people and men have a lot to give to things right so men keep the electrical grid running men will go and do the drilling in the ground. You know, there's all this, this stuff, these videos online that will say, oh, look what men's work is. Women, do you really want to do this? Yeah. And it's, the, it's just the gendered idea that men are good with things and for things yeah. and women are good with people and for people. Yeah. And then that becomes a very dangerous precedent of for people in what way? Yeah. It's also obviously that men on the left who advocate this stuff still don't understand that if someone is pretending to act in a loving way to you because you're paying them you know 60 pounds an hour 100 pounds an hour whatever that's not real yeah and it's it's not the same say in a professional setting where i don't know you go to see a therapist and they put their therapist hat on and they adopt certain ethics and certain rules or certain approaches and they've studied and they're they know the business they know what they're doing this is not the same of the world of of work where you're just in this other scenario you're paying someone to act as if they love you it's so still strange and interesting to me that anyone would want that knowing it wasn't real and that you wouldn't care you can only not care if you don't care about the person's actual subjectivity yeah because if 
I was with someone that for some, I don't know, nefarious reason was acting in a loving way towards me and had an ulterior motive other than just wanting to, it would just make me run cold. Yeah, it's the big lie that Kasia Ekes Ekman talks about that runs through the entirety of the sex industry. There's a real psychological component, basically. And the lie is, is that women are there because they want to be there. They want, women, there, prostitution happens, I sound like a broken record, I say this all the time on TikTok, but prostitution happens when one party wants to have sex, the other party does not want to have sex, so money is exchanged. If you have two people who want to have sex, no money needs to be exchanged. The people just have sex. If you have two people who don't want to have sex, no sex happens. So by definition, one person in prostitution does not want to have sex with you. And there's all this cope and denial that goes into covering up that fact. And it used to be back in the day, if you talk to people who were in prostitution 20 years ago compared to how they were now, this thing of prostitutes don't do kissing. It was this idea that women were allowed, who in prostitution were allowed of, there was some acknowledgement of this lie that I don't actually want to be here. We're not going to kiss. I don't like you like that. We're here for one purpose only. And there was some facilitation of that separation between the woman who is in her body being prostituted and her subjectivity. Nowadays, as prostitution becomes more popularized, men want the girlfriend experience. They want all of it. They want the weekend together and the kissing and whatever. And that become that has become the popular thing. Because what Ekman writes about is the story of the sex worker is it works for both parties. Because the men get to go, oh, the women are working because they enjoy this job and they like working. It's the same reason why people choose to be a veterinarian or choose to be a college professor. They're choosing, they're choosing it and they love it as a career choice. And the women get to say, that's who I am at work. That's the worker part of me. So she gets to maintain that separation between herself and her subjectivity. And it also works for leftists because they get to pretend it's a labor issue, like they love it. It works for the neoliberals because they get to support the sex industry and say no regulation. It's a story that works for everyone. But at the end of the day, can they not tell? Well, they must know. Yeah, they do. They must know. Somewhere they must know this woman doesn't really want to spend the weekend with me. Yeah. And I don't understand how you can have that level of denial. So it wouldn't just make you feel shit. Yeah. But then I also don't understand how you could concede... Well, I guess they don't concede. I can't get with women. I have to pay them. I'm a big loser. I think that for many of them, it's an endeavour that is exciting precisely because it's unconsensual. Yes. That must make up quite a large proportion. And they're less about the denial. Yeah, exactly. Than than what you've just explained. Yeah. And I think that I was thinking about how, I mean, it's not like right-wing men are a basket of roses <laughs> or whatever yeah it's that if you're having a disagreement with anybody let's say you're having an argument with someone and you think they're being really unfair and they're trying to propose to you something that they say doesn't make sense and you're like no this is horrible blah 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 it is always better to be having that argument with someone who's being honest and straightforward yeah than someone who is trying to manipulate you and say well, I just thought this was a good idea and that you would like it and that this is good for you and that, well, what's wrong with you that you don't like this? It's much better to be able to have that disagreement on agreed terms, at least, Mm. rather than someone who's just insidiously pretending, you know, 
Yeah. And, and that, again, is it's this like double bind with the left where you're not just disagreeing. They're also then trying to psychologically kind of manipulate you into saying, oh, no, if, you know, of course, this is of course, some women want to be prostitutes. Of course, uh, pornography isn't harmful. Blah, blah. I mean, they wouldn't even I don't even believe they would make that much of an honest argument that I've just said there now. No, they wouldn't. So it's a little bit like. Of course, it's better to have the argument with right wing men because yeah. the, because yeah. they're actually being straightforward with you. Yeah, yeah. And therefore, you can have an honest disagreement. Absolutely. Left wing men are not doing that, and it made me think about when Zizek explained the for him, you know, the difference. It gave an example of the difference between modern patriarchy and traditional patriarchy, and he said traditional patriarchy is when a father says to his son you have to go visit your grandmother on Sunday. And the son says, oh, you know, I really don't want to. And he says, well, if you don't, I'll beat you. So the son goes. Modern patriarchy is when the father says to the son, you, you, your mother, sorry, your grandmother wants to see you on Sunday. You've got to go. And the son says, oh, I don't want to. And he says, oh, but grandma loves you. And don't yeah. you love grandma? And wouldn't you really like to do that on Sunday? I think you would. Yeah. I much prefer the former. Yeah. Which is just straightforward. You know where you stand. Other than this kind of layers of emotional manipulation. Yeah, yeah. It's very manipulative. Because I think, well, I think Andrea Dworkin writes about this really well in Right Wing Women in the difference between traditional patriarchy and um, modern patriarchy, so left-wing patriarchy versus right-wing patriarchy. And she was writing about the experiences of basically boomers in the 1960s during the era of free love and how there was these wonderful ideas that were going to be sexually liberated and free, and men just looked at it as, I get more pussy. So rather than one woman, I get to fuck several women. And she writes about how women would get sick of this, they would fall, people, they'd fall off the grid when they'd get older, you'd never hear about them again, or a woman would get pregnant and suddenly she's not in the scene anymore, or whatever. And right, and left, and the women who were getting into the free love movement had this naivety of, oh, we're like brothers, we're like, they're like our, our love brothers, we're transcending something here, we're helping them discover their humanity, we're breaking down these walls. And she talks about their parents and how the mothers who warned their daughters against it, the daughters thought, oh, she just they just don't know how wonderful sex can be. But really the mothers were warning them because they know they because they do know what men are like rather than they don't know what men are like. Yeah. And the and the fathers were thinking, oh no, like we went to war and we did things to protect this society based on families. And when this falls apart, and just like how you were saying, oh, if it was in public, there could be some public acknowledgement and when you make suffering public people can come together and rise up against this collective suffering those men knew that if you bring all the stuff that you do to women out into the public sphere that women start to talk about it and they recognize it and so it was like no 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 you have to keep things how they are in private um and i think a lot of left-wing men are really doing a cope now and trying to struggle with the fact that we've had, what, 20 years of prostitution and pornography. Broadband pornography. Broadband pornography. And a lot of women are going, oh, this is terrible. A lot of men are going, I've destroyed my health because it's actually a terrible thing for your health. Most universities won't even allow 
um, like researchers to show people pornography because it's like so unethical for the health of the individual um, that most ethics places will not, no longer approve showing people pornography just because of the health effects of it. Um, and now there's this huge cope going, oh, no, no, and then you have the red pill movement who's come up as a response to this. Um, but I think a lot of left-wing men as well, I notice a lot of the big public commentators online who um, say this kind of stuff about prostitution, pornography, polyamory, this kind of neo-free love stuff. There are a lot of men who come from Republican households or conservative households or come from a right-wing background. And basically, I think that being restricted in your sexuality as a young man um, if you're from a conservative home in the era of pornography and polyamory and everything else, just the feeling of FOMO and the feeling of, oh my God, I'm being restricted, must have felt like oppression, must have felt insane. Like a lot of the men who talk about this stuff online come from Republican households. And it's just because they don't understand yet that when you make this stuff public, women start talking to each other about it. And because of that restriction they felt growing up that they felt so hard done by for. Right. I guess they feel almost like, um, you know, like gay teenagers that have to hide it. Yeah. I bet they think that yes. they went through the same experience. Yeah, yeah. When, of course, they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I my other point is that right-wing men generally conservative men right want to just conserve the way things are now and okay make some reforms maybe but left-wing men claim that they have that they want to liberate the world right they have the best vision for humanity so they're also saying to you women this is how you are liberated through surrogacy through prostitution through pornography through transgenderism so they're proposing women's oppression as liberation yeah the goal yeah yeah and it's so much m more of a worse proposition than conservative men's yeah proposition yeah yeah i think overall it is overall definitely it is worse to be used by 20 men than by one man it's worse yeah 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 and that's basically what Dworkin says in right-wing women is that right-wing women are making a like a calculated choice, basically. Like they see women in the workplace being sexually harassed and how much left-wing men love prostitution and pornography. And they say, I'd rather have like my children and be exploited by one man and just deal with him than several. And the idea is that you pop on lucky with a nice man. Yeah. That, that means that during the day when your kids are at school and you've done all your chores, you can go for lunch with your friends. Yeah. And that he's not going to be totally controlling and keep you indoors and yeah. so on. Yeah. And I, I feel like... Or do mad shit like Steven Crowder and only have one car. Yeah. So you're like all kinds of weird ways to... Yeah. So it's not like I don't want to give conservative right-wing men a hard time. The fact that they want to restrict access to abortion or ban abortion. I understand how that's terrible. Or they think that women's only role is to be in the kitchen. Yeah. But I, I still think that this idea of collective... Suffering publicly, to me, it's like I it was it's worse. It's a worse uh, proposition to me. And the thing that makes me the thing about right wing men that's so crazy is they say this stuff, 
and they pretend like, oh yes, I'm the only one who does, my wife is the only one who does the laundry, and I'm a traditional patriarch, and I smoke a cigar, and I whatever. But they they marry like insane, super dominant career women who are older than them. Often. <laughs> so it's like hard for me to take seriously. Whereas left-wing men genuinely do use prostitutes and watch pornography and have like polyamorous relationships with... Yeah. Well, the left-wing men's lie is that they actually do often, not always, but want a woman in the home. Usually, you know, I mean, the arc is usually that there's a successful left-wing man, he does well in politics, and then at about age 40, he marries a woman 15, 20 years younger. Yeah. And then has kids. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose if I'm thinking about Sharia and this idea that, you know, women are literal property and you can marry a 12-year-old, yeah. say, in some parts of the world, yeah. that happens. FGM, etc. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's also a hellscape. Hellscape. Horrible. Horrible. Like a male guardianship system where you can't go anywhere or do anything in public. It's terrible. Yeah, and a lot of, like, conservatives. It's so funny because after 9-11 and the war on terror and that being the kind of political culture at the time, there was a lot of Islamophobia and clash of civilizations and we have to protect the West or whatever. But a lot of men on the right have now, like, reversed that and are like, oh, yeah, no, Muslims have the right ideas about women. Yeah. 100%, like Tommy Robinson... Andrew Tate. Tommy Robinson said that. He said similar stuff. He's like, oh, I look around now and Muslims aren't our enemies. And like, I'm thoughtful about um, Mohammed Hijab's uh, debate with Ayan Hersiali on Michaela Peterson's podcast, where he said, Ayan, who's not even her real name, she says that I'm, I'm terrible because I'm anti feminist. Michaela, you understand your dad has also got in trouble with feminists. We want to live our lives with our values. Who are they to tell us and say how we should organize our families? And Michaela's there, like, nodding, going like, yeah, yeah. That's so funny. He says, Ian Heresy, that's not your real name. Ali Dower's not Ali Dower's real name. His best friend. His name's Erdi. Really? Yeah, he chose Ali Dower as his name. He chose Dower because yeah, that's yeah. how he came to Islam. Right. His name's Erdi something something, like yeah. a, a very Turkish name. Right, because he's like an Alawite. Yeah. Well, not now, but he grew up that way. Yeah. yeah. So... It's, it's just, yeah, that's an immediate double standard there. But I feel like it's it's very, it's in the end, you end up rejecting both, right? Mm -hmm. You're like the right-wing vision, yeah, hellscape. The left-wing vision, also hellscape. Yeah. But I still, I still have the point that I, you would end up in a private world mm -hmm. of suffering to get away from the public one. Right. Whereas I'm not sure anybody trapped in the women as private property vision yeah. situation is trying to escape to be a public... No, no, no. ...public property. No. No, they're not. Do you, do you want to say about Alexander... <laughs> I misgendered her immediately. Alexandra <laughs> Kolontai. Oh, right. Kolontai. Yeah. I guess I was speaking about leftist men. I remember when I... I was a really orthodox communist in my early 20s and I got into feminism and I thought Alexandra Kolontai, how great. And then I actually read about her life and it was just like 
taking incredible L after incredible L, just like massive humiliation, just like zero dignity, doing things for men, like going to like, basically there's nothing new under the sun. It's so crazy. But there were these feminist conferences that would happen and women, um, like upper middle class women and aristocratic women would bring their maids, like their female maids, and they'd all go listen to someone speak, like a feminist speak, like a suffragette from Germany or whatever. This was all in Russia, like before the revolution. And they were quite popular and they would have tea and whatever. And Alexandra Kollontai would just get up there and start screaming about how they all needed to join the Bolsheviks and all the maids that were there, like, don't listen to these fe- this feminism, it's all bourgeois and, like... You're just a worker. You're just a worker and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so just incredible. And, like, I th- like, the men who were... Can I just say, yeah. can we explain who Alexandra Kalantai is? Yeah. She's the premier Bolshevik woman. Mm. Really, she's the most well-known woman of the Russian Bolshevik party. Yeah, she was a Menshevik, actually, for most of her most of those early days, but she did defect the Bolsheviks. And to explain what that is, Bolshevik means majority, Menshevik means minority, and it's when there was a kind of split in the Socialist Party, mm. they made that distinction. And the Mensheviks were more reformist and timid yeah trotsky was a menshevik as well right yeah and uh so she would do these big displays to show how anti-feminist she were and the men around her just were like cool like they didn't care that much no one asked her to do this no one was like you go stick it to the feminist she took it upon herself to do this to kind of curry favor and win points and lenin just wrote to her being like because she was from that part of russia that's very close to finland and he was like, oh, I really like what you write about Finnish workers in Finland and didn't mention all the anti-feminist activism that she was doing because they like, didn't fucking care. But, but didn't she eventually try and do... Yeah, I was getting there. Yeah. Okay, go on. And part of what she, big part of what she did was they would educate workers. So they would set up these schools to be like, we're going to teach workers how to read. But actually they were teaching the Marx. Um, that was a, how they got the factory workers to join the revolutionary parties and um, she wanted to do one just for women, and everyone thought that was a ridiculous idea. And when she showed up, she ma- finally managed to convince enough people that she was going to do this class just for women. And she, like, rented a room. It was, like, I think it was, like, someone's apartment, if I remember correctly, or someone's flat. And when she arrived, there was a big sign on the door being, like, someone oh, here in here is a woman silly enough to think she can educate women or something. Um, or really- women shouldn't have meetings. It was something degrading to her personally, actually. Okay. It was not something... It was something degrading. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something very degrading to her personally. That and had I, been put there by Bolshevik men. Yeah, exactly. And I just think that... And it was after she managed to convince this one guy, please let me use your flat for this purpose. Um, so it's just this continually... Like, her whole biography from start to finish is, like, continually taking L's from leftist men. Just, like, total humiliation and indignity and, like, in the end, um, Kathy Porter, who wrote her biography, had to go through huge a huge amount of um, bureaucratic mess to try and get her diaries and try and get all of her writings because no one had cared enough to, like, preserve them from her life. Um, and she didn't fare very well after the revolution. She wasn't given some... She wasn't... There's no Alexandra Kollontai day of any kind... Um, and I think it's just a really demonstrative example of how you can be completely fucked over. Wasn't she eventually exiled yeah. and given a foreign 
Yeah, because they're like... Government posts. Oh, you're Finnish, so you know about Finland. That's your, like, niche woman. Go be in Finland. And it was for complaining and raising issues within the party. Yeah, exactly. I have to say that this is the experience of women on the le- on the far left. Yeah. It, it was my experience, certainly within communist groups, and I think that had I been more feminist in the socialist groups, it would have been exactly the same. Yeah. There is huge suspicion about any woman who wants to do anything just for women, even if you don't call it feminism. Yeah, you don't have to. If you say we'd like a women's conference that men can attend, but women organise and women speak. Yeah. Something that you think, okay, well, that seems nice and mild. There is absolute hostility towards it in a way that there isn't on the right, it seems. Yeah. No. Well, our friend Stuart Parker says, try to interrupt a Mormon woman. Like, you just can't. Because they they have so much um, sex segregation in their education. They spend a lot of time just around women where they're able to just, like, speak freely. And um, a lot of right-wing... Being a right-wing woman is such an interesting thing because it's... In its weird way, it's so masculine to, like, get on television and be like, fuck those immigrants! Like, it's not nurturing and motherly... Or kind. Or kind or any of these things that women are... um, that women are rewarded for. It's like these big, bullshit career women, basically. Is Anne Coulter married? Does she have children? I don't think so. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of these, I remember like Lauren Southern, I went to a protest in like 2014 and like, I think it was one of the original BLM protests and Lauren Southern showed up with her two um, braids down her head and her big camera crew, she was, like, getting up in people's faces. And she's like, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? She was, like, a highly organized, highly competent political actor, like, 21. Um, really, really assertive and kind of aggressive. And none of these things are particularly feminine at all. You find the most feminine women on the left. Yeah. The most subservient and, women. They yeah. just eat shit. All the time. And those are the ones often, unfortunately, that stay in socialist groups. For whatever reason, I don't understand. Like, I can't tell women to join socialist groups as much as I'm a socialist because of such a bad experience that they will have. Yeah. And then the idea that they'll just eat shit for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Is just an awful prospect. But no, women on the right are like boss bitches. Yeah, they are. Hugely... Like, hugely so. And then, uh, like you say, a lot of right-wing men. I mean, Ben Shapiro is married to a surgeon. I mean, it's, I think, other than engineering, possibly the most male-dominated field of work a person can possibly be in. It's like 2% of surgeons are women. Like, you have to crack people's skulls over and uh, open and saw bodies. Yeah. And (laughs) the idea that, you know, he just wanted a domestic... Housewife. Such a lie. It's like Ben, this woman earns like what upwards of like three hundred thousand dollars a year at least. Yeah, she will be on call a lot. I mean, this this woman is like incredibly successful, and it's, it will have been so competitive to get there. Oh, incredibly so, and she'll have to deal with like sexist stuff that she'll have to be really robust against, and all of this. Yeah, like medicine in general has become very female dominated, with the exception of surgery. Well, it's a real meme that I see circulating online, which is a rad- every radical feminist. I mean, you know, it's tongue in cheek, but uh, a, every radical feminist has a boyfriend or husband in the background who yells at them yeah. sometimes. And every right wing woman 
has a husband who is so effeminate and camp, he might be gay. Yeah. Yeah, they often pick really, like, feminine. Passive men. men. Yeah, they do. Yeah. 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 No, it's very difficult to take people seriously. The other thing about leftist men that's really interesting is that right-wing men will marry a woman around their age in their early 20s, and they'll grow old. So you see, like, a 40-year-old man with a 40-year-old woman or something. Left-wing men will have their romp until they're, like, 35, 40, and then they'll marry a 21-year-old or a 22-year-old. It is so common. I can't think of a socialist group that that hasn't happened in. And you'll have these huge age gaps between, and I'm not saying it's whatever, but you will, it is a thing. You'll have these huge age gaps between very older older men and much younger women. Yeah. And a lot of women, I've said this before, and it's gotten me in a lot of trouble. It's just true from my observation. I'm not saying it's true in every case. But a lot of women who have power in socialist parties have that have the, that power because of who they're married to or who they're dating. One hundred percent. It's very com- much more common than on the right. Much more common than on the right. That's really the left replicating a lot of the industries in our society, though. Yeah. Which is weird because they would say they oppose the very organization and structure of those industries and that they want to reorganize them. Yeah. This is one way, and they absolutely do not want to reorganize them. Or they could say they do, but it's not borne out in reality. Like, it is the case that if you look at a woman who has a leadership position in a socialist party or organization, she very, very likely has a husband or boyfriend who also is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not true on the right. Candace Owens is not married to anyone who's in the Daily Wire. Mm-hmm. Lauren Southern is was not married to anyone in Rebel News. It's just, it's not true on the right. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Should we wrap it up? Yeah, do you want to wrap it up? Yeah. All right, well, we're interested in people's thoughts. Yes. Tell us what you think. Indeed. Left is men. All right, well, thank you for listening. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>